0: The Mix Room with Genelec.
1: Today's podcast guest is drum and bass icon, DJ, record producer, and musician Danny Bird, who's just signed a new record deal with the Ministry of Sound and is here today to talk about some of his career highlights so far. So, welcome along, Danny. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you?
0: Uh, good, thank you. A little bit tired. Um, just just uh, had a couple of days in London filming a music video. <laughs> so, that's really arrogant, that does do it. Uh, uh, we, we, um, first, some problems. Yeah, yeah first some problems. Well, well, do you know what? It sounds like it's really good fun doing a music video, but it's actually like mega stress. So it's like it's been two days of like good stress, but like stress, and you know, kind of, you know, going into London and coming back out of London, as we were talking about earlier, like off off offline. Yeah, um, yeah. It's always always yeah. It's always a, it's always a tiring one. So I've got that kind of. Yeah, um, driven to London feeling today, you know, that you just can't shake, you know. (laughs) Yeah, just
1: for the purposes of our listeners, Danny's in Bath, so it's a little bit of a drive, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's not too bad, it's not too bad, it's like two hours, it's like 100 miles, 110 miles away, but yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's always, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) So what, music video, that's exciting, are you allowed to say what that is? It's fine if you're not.
0: Um, Yeah, it's for a track called Selector with a DWE um on ministry of sound it's out it's out at the moment and um it's doing it's, it's the numbers are picking up and it's doing really well so they wanted to do a music video for it and um you know, we wanted to do one for a while but it was all it, it wasn't going to happen then it was going to happen and it was all very last minute hence the sort of stress involved in it but yeah yeah and that's good fun
1: okay and you've just signed a new record deal really recently haven't you with the ministry of sound so huge congratulations on that
0: thank you, yeah, yeah, um yeah, no, it's it's i mean i've I've worked with them um occasionally over the years on remixes and stuff because they always reach out for drawing based remixes on tracks and stuff, and uh yeah they um you know they they, they I was finally sent them some original tracks and they seem to be into them, so yeah, so far so good at the moment
1: fantastic, so how did this sort of come about then had you was it always a goal of yours, even maybe in the back of your mind to sign a deal with them someday?
0: I don't know. I suppose it's like um, you know they they are probably one of the biggest dance labels in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know if you are making any kind of dance music, you you probably have got some ambition to, or you know some wanting to be to be associated or or have a you know just that logo is iconic, isn't it? The Ministry of yes. Sound logo. Like that was that was the best thing when we were doing the artwork for the first single. Is is uh, the um having the ministry logo on it it's just like a real stamp of approval you know so it's yeah it's 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 great to be associated with them and uh yeah it's it's um it's an honor really
1: yeah it must feel amazing what an achievement
0: yeah it's good man it's good it's just uh yeah on on to the next
1: The next (laughs) yep on to the next music video whatever it may be
0: (laughs) yeah for sure
1: so um, you're in Bath, obviously, where you live uh, at the moment. So what what we what are your days looking like at the moment? What's a day in the life of uh, Danny Bird looking like these days? Of, of, other well, than I've you know just, filming a music video, raising an 8 month year old, you know, aside from that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I, well, I've just moved house like about eight months ago, which everyone has. I mean, I've been, I'm an avid listener to this podcast, and everyone like quite often like, a lot of people have moved house. Like I have too, yeah. The, the, yeah, it's the lockdown thing, isn't it? Everyone, move, you know, the housing market's gone nuts. So everyone's moved out. So uh, I've just, I, I moved house about six, seven months ago and um, just outside of Bath, actually a place called Box. Very, very, very near Real World Studios, actually, which is really cool because um we we mixed the new single there as well which mm-hmm. was so good because usually when i've mixed singles or m- music and albums and stuff in the past i've always gone to london and you kind of like again you know by the time you get to london you've got that like driving headache and then you've mm-hmm. got to go and mix a, a mix mix some music which is quite quite hard but it was, it was like great because i'm like one minute away from real world so it was like just turn up and you know ready to go it's kind of um intense and uh, but but really good fun um uh yeah but uh to ask you for average day in the life of me i don't know just i i i I try and set my days i'll have like admin days (laughs) so you know if i have you know lots of emails and stuff to do I'll, i'll try and get all that done i can't do music and admin at the same in the in the same day so i'll try and clear all that out of the way Mm-hmm. and then have a fresh start on music. Um, so we would be, I'm either doing music fully on one day or I, I'm, you know, I, I can't just like dip in and dip out, but it's, my brain doesn't allow me to do that.
1: Mm. Separate the creative and the, uh, well, the more dull, I suppose.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I just like, I can't concentrate on doing music if I know I've got to do something later, you know, or, or mm-hmm. I've got to, you know, it's, it, it's, it, yeah, it's like, anything gets in the way of um doing music you know like uh there's always like there's always an excuse not to do it you know it's quite you have to be quite self-motivated a lot of the time i feel and uh yeah there's if, if there's an excuse not to do it i won't do it <laughs> you know
1: yes so. oh you were definitely a procrastinator at school i'm feeling with your homework
0: oh definitely yeah <laughs> definitely i didn't, didn't, didn't do a lot of it no didn't do a lot of it
1: Oh well, yeah. it's worked out fine for you, so never mind. Eh?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I have these like periods of great laziness, then then great sort of motivation. It's like it's it's feast or famine, you know. Mm,
1: absolutely. Do you find that you um, like to sit down then and think, right, I'm going to do some music today, or is it the other way where it more just comes to you at any given moment, and you'll just find yourself being really creative? How does that work for you?
0: Um, well, actually, <clears throat> a lot of the good ideas come from fiddling around, just messing around. Mm. Um, <coughs> they, they sort of like um, will arrive when, you, when dinner's about to be on the table, when you just like, you just <coughs> sorry, you're just like, you're just fiddling around with some sounds or something or some ideas, maybe trying a new plug-in and that sparks a new idea. And it's like, oh, that's a good idea. And then you park that and then that's what you work on when you've got a free day. It's like right. I'm gonna I'm gonna go in on that idea, you know. So weirdly enough, the days that I set aside for doing music, they generally aren't to write stuff. They're to embellish something that's was a quick idea. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I've, no- I've noticed that. It's like um, the creativity, and that's why I always believe. Like for me personally, having a home studio has always been essential to me because all those best ideas have always come when you're just messing around it's like the thought of going to work going to a studio to to write something from scratch is kind of a bit weird to me mm. sometimes it can work and it has worked in the past but yeah i i like noodling around and then that, that you know otherwise it's like great pressure isn't it you know because you sit with a blank yes. blank canvas yes. on a day and just kind of like oh, what am i going to write you know
1: yeah just staring at the blank page horrifying
0: yeah yeah
1: you need to get that spark and get in the zone don't you and I wonder do you ever get inspiration from just really unlikely places, I've talked to all kinds of you know, producers, songwriters that say anything from watching, one of them said he was watching a daytime TV episode of Murder She Wrote and he got this idea <laughs> for a track and uh, the guy that, write, that wrote a lot of uh, Britney Spears' early stuff and backsheet Voice said he was making a coffee and just humming to himself. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm losing my voice too. That's good for us yeah. on this interview today, isn't it?
0: <laughs> so early, early, morning, early morning voices.
1: <laughs> yeah, I haven't spoken to anyone yet, can you tell? Yeah, um, yeah so what about you? Have you ever had... Uh, an unlikely inspiration?
0: Um, I have because it's drum and bass is quite sort of like, you know, it's urban music from an urban environment. Mm. Um I find that like, you know, going go, you know, like, for example, going to London for a day or something, or that kind of urban experience always always inspires me. And I think inspiration is is often motivation for me as well. The two are the same, so it's kind of like if I take a trip into town and I just walk around and just soak up a lot of people and a lot of energy, I, 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 I find that a good inspiration. I don't find myself so much inspired by nature. Funny enough, you know, like like a lot of people, they, they get inspired by looking at the trees and the grass and Hmm. um, I'm the sort of opposite. It's like the urban kind of environment that, that kind of gets me going, you know?
1: yeah well, I definitely wouldn't naturally associate um the kind of music you make with uh you know yeah rolling landscapes and you know yeah. countryside it's urban, isn't it it's the city it's that uh, energy,
0: yeah, yeah it's like uh, it's pretty cliche but it's it's sort of true it's like and again, it's like I say just I don't know whether I get specific musical ideas from that, but it's just like that motivation, you know it's like right I, I want to get in the studio and make mm. something.
1: Yeah, and the vibe, I get that. And um so yeah. before we get into um a bit more of your career, I think I think we need to hear about, you know, your interests as a child. Were you always really into music? Were you always, you know, drumming on the table? Did you ever see yourself wanting to do something like this?
0: Um, I when I was younger, I, I was always uh I always loved the idea of like creating like a product like a, D, a diy thing like you know you make something and you could sell it and mm-hmm. so the first thing before music that i loved was like making computer games um which looking back i wasn't very good at but i was uh, good enough to make a sort of very basic game in the basic programming language okay. and uh, and that sort of like transferred into music basically if you think about the two that you know they're both sort of music programming you know um and and so at some point music took over um and that was like i was like uh, really interested in all the like the early rave music this is like the early 90s we're talking about apologies sl2 or anything on xl recordings at that time basically and um yeah that got the spot. And, you, and you look at it with that with that sort of naivety of youth and think i could do that you know because it, it, a lot of those you know all those rave records um, you, will, you you hear them and, and it's like they, they're they like really raw and kind of like um, I'm not gonna say basic but you know you, you listen to it and you think I could do that it's not two years later you realize no I can't do that easily you know it takes years to do that mm-hmm. and learn that but um, it was like it appealed to me that DIY nature of it you know.
1: Yeah that makes sense absolutely and um I feel like I like asking people this because you get a sense of it. What is the first um, record that you bought with your own money? Is yours going to be cool or is it going to be cringy? Uh, Come on, let's have it.
0: Thing is, Janet Jackson picture disc. so oh, I that's, don't know not, that's
1: okay. It's not cool artist. Bad.
0: It's like yeah, yeah. It's not too bad. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know where that is now, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, maybe, I, maybe I'll have a midlife crisis and try and rebuy it on eBay or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. i've got a friend of mine that does just just does that all day long he just buys stuff from his youth but he like sells it on as well he's like a trader of it so he actually has made a living out of his own own nostalgia it's quite sad that's good making
1: a career out of a midlife crisis i mean you've got to do something good with it. turn it into a positive
0: yeah exactly (laughs) exactly
1: so um on Janet Jackson I didn't expect that so where did this um <laughs> the fixation honest, no no no, no it's good honest. to be honest yeah. but um <laughs> just curious the leap then from that to drum and bass when did this fixation with that style of music come in well like
0: you? I say like I say it was all that sort of like early rave stuff that started creeping in it, and I'm watching like um on BBC4 they've got this is in the UK they've got uh um Top of the Pops 90 1991 at the moment mm-hmm. and it's like that was basically you could pinpoint my interest to that total period Cause it's like, I'm watching that and seeing all these kind of like d- early dance records on there. And they were all like charting quite high in the charts without even like radio play. Cause they were that popular. That's how big that sort mm-hmm. of sound was at that time. So it was kind of like, yeah, again, just like watching top of the pops and watching people on these keyboards. I mean, you didn't have, it was really hard to know what the equipment was used. You know, like I remember buying like, Early. the best thing was I, I bought an early future music cd um not, not cd sorry future music magazine and it had a interview with uh, liam haylett from apology and he explained exactly how he did his process and what he he needed the equipment he needed to make his music and i was like that was a wow moment it was like right i need to buy that i need to buy that of course it cost thousands and thousands of pounds so i never bought any of it but it was you know you, you, you and that sparked the interest and, and the the rave music basically turned into jungle music and then it turned into drum and bass basically so there's an there's an evolution from that point basically mm. um uh yes yeah, so you can you could trace it all the way back to there but yeah it was like a lifelong at that time a lifelong quest to get something that you could make music with you know to get a sampler that would be high enough quality to make make a tune in your bedroom um which I I sort of finally got when I was like I think seventeen and bought it on credit. I think I'm still paying it off now. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: three uh, thousand sampler, and it was like that. Then there was no excuses, you know. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was amazing.
1: Well, people may forget, easy to forget how different it is now, and how easy it is to get your hands and all types of software and production oh kits God, from home. Exactly. But then it was completely different, wasn't it?
0: You had to be so. You had to know about that stuff. You had to have a genuine interest. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know if I actually believe that was better because I believe in it being open to all, you know, that, that bar of entry was, well, it was, it was very expensive. You know, it was like, I think my first sampler was 3000 pounds and that was back 25 years ago. And that, you know, that's, that's like five, six grand now, you know, in, in inflation terms, it's, it's a lot of money. It's a it's a big investment, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, yeah. And what um, about but, yeah.
1: um, when did you start to take it more seriously? So obviously you were dipping into these magazines, seeing what you know, kit, prodigy, etc. are using. When did you start to actually do this for real?
0: Pro- probably for uh, oh, professionally. Yeah, professionally. Like, yeah, I would say so. So uh, around that time when I got that sample, I was going to City of Bristol Music College as well. Uh, sorry, uh, the college. I was doing a music tech course. It was one of the first music tech courses they did in the southwest and that like really legitimized what I was trying to do. And I think my first release was in 1998 on, um, a label called Picasso, which was a DJ Ron's label. He's, he's a jungle sort of legend. Um, and yeah, that was, so I suppose that, that was the start of my career. That was the first, uh, record that I put out. Um, and that was sort of made on that early Atari Akai setup. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was cool, man. It was, a uh, it was it was it was really mind blown to have your own music on on a white label, you know, like pressed up. It was like just that was the ultimate goal. And then I remember Groove Rider, he had a Radio One show at the time and played it on on his on his show, and it was like, you know, he didn't mention who it was, but <laughs> that was that was enough for me. It was like, you know, I, I don't know what it was back then. They didn't like on a lot on a lot of those early drum and bass shows. They didn't even mention the artists. It was kind of it was just they would just play the music a lot of the time. But yeah it was that was the start of it really
1: mm. and um, what how does it feel now do you ever get used to hearing your tracks on the radio uh does it always feel as exciting as perhaps that first time
0: uh, it always feels exciting you just always always turn the radio up you know it's like you'd be driving along here you know it's like it goes on full blast you just can't help it you know it's it's, it's <laughs> that never ever gets old that feeling you know
1: yeah now they never. might even introduce it or say who the artist is right
0: Yeah, oh, they do that yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. um yeah it, ne- it never gets old that it never gets old it's amazing
1: and mm. i know so you were one of the very first assigned to hospital records at yeah. the turn of the millennium so what are your memories of this and how did things change for you after that
0: yeah well um uh i sent them a demo i, I was I was working on um, a lot of kind of really musical drum and bass at the time, like really sort of influenced by a lot of what was going on in the garage scene at the time, UK garage scene and um, sort of soulful vocals and stuff, which was the complete opposite of what was happening at drum and bass at the time. Drum and bass was very, very dark at that, that point and was kind of very, um, yeah kind of re- really hard and aggressive sounding and um hospital records were known for like you know promoting a more um sort of musical sound and so i sent them a demo a three track demo and they got back to me and we just sort of hit it off musically you know we were on the same page um, with what we were trying to do and um you know like that was when they were very, a, a much smaller label um and they, uh, you know, it's, a, it's mental to see how far they've come over 20 years, you know, yeah. and how far the music's come. And, you know, but that, that was the start of just sending a demo through the post, basically, you know. And, um, yeah, sign an album deal off the back of that, um, which all sounds great. But then I sort of had a big writer's block for a few years. <laughs> so the album didn't come out for another like six years. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was like it was. Um, uh, we put out a few singles, but it was it was around that time at, in the early two thousands. It was when everyone switched to software and doing it kind of all in the box. Mm-hmm. So I was like used to my hardware setup, which I sort of built up nicely over the years and was really proud of. And uh, the whole sound of drum and bass changed. Because of the in the box, and you could do so many more things, and the music really tightened up as well. Like the timing on the, you could you could layer multiple breaks, break beats on top of each other, and the whole sanction, And I just couldn't do that on my hardware setup, and it it just took me a long time to adjust to that in the box way of working versus the hardware. Mm. And I, I hear that from a lot of people that they did struggle with that. You know, um, yeah, because it's like I, I just just started to master the hardware way of doing it, and then it all changed. But, um, yeah, I I finally caught up, (laughs) I think.
1: (laughs) Oh, and you did finally get the album out, so it was super-sized, wasn't it? In 2008, am
0: I right in saying? Yeah, 2008, yeah. Mm,
1: Okay, well, it did do really, really well. So, um, obviously, the gap paid off, or whatever your learning curve paid off. So, um, what were your memories of that time, and it coming out, and it doing well, and everything?
0: It was... um, It was... um, interesting time because I was uh I was teaching uh uh, I was teaching at a music tech college for a couple years and I lost my job in the uh I lost my job in about 2006 so I was just DJing full-time and making music full-time but you know you always think that you're going to um, make the jump to full time, you know, you know, really comfortably and like, you know, but actually, you know, when, when one thing gives over another, it's, it's, it's always kind of like, you're just scrimping and, and and saving and, and, um, just getting by (laughs) with your music, you know? Um, um, so it was like a quite intense period. Like I had to make it work. And, uh, that album, um, you know, hospital said to me, you know, you've got, you've got to kind of, uh, you know the first round of demos that i gave them they 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 weren't they weren't there wasn't enough music there they felt like you know you need to you need to do more so they gave me an ultimatum and said uh you need to you need to do like 10 demos in a month or you're dropped basically it was quite a harsh ultimatum Mm -hmm. but i sort of rose to the challenge and it set me also to uh, to answer your question what was my memories of that it was just like kind of stressful but good you know it's like you you knew what you could do under real pressure like that album was probably wrote in about four months in total you know mm. um which is insane when i when i look back um but yeah that was and then you know seeing the album take off and we got a lot of um radio support like radio one really started support, especially annie Mac when she was on on their on their friday night show she really supported it. And, and yeah the whole thing took off from there really that that was like that was like the real start of my career, I would say, you know.
1: Mm, well, it's like to pick up. And I know Shock Out was the first single from that first mm. album. So why did you pick that one as the lead? What was it about that one? that You were well, like, this is the one.
0: This is the, well, this is the interesting thing, that that track was never, re- I never saw that track as a single. This is the thing about, you know, people talk about doing their own labels and they can put their own music out, but this is why you need a team around you because, uh I never saw that track as a single I just saw that as like an album cut you know that's a good thing when you write an album you get to write and explore these different stars and what what you think might be something that's kind of like I'm going to experiment here this is this will be good for somewhere in the album suddenly becomes your main single your first single you know at the time I was like no no way that's that's not coming out as my first single that's just a kind of little experimental piece and they were like no 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 that's coming out as the first single and they were they were right on that you know um and uh yeah that 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 track was like the start of it basically of, of that album kicking off and that campaign and yeah I, again like it's so hard to be objective with your own music isn't it you know what, what you think is good might not be as good and what you think is kind of um yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, that's why artists that run their own labels and do all their own A&R, I'm, I'm really impressed because I, 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 I would struggle with that, you know?
1: Yeah, I imagine it must be hard, like you say, to take that, step back from it and look at it from someone else. Well, how can you exactly? That's the problem. But I've heard that yeah. from a few, you know, producers, artists, et cetera, overdoing uh, all of these uh, interviews over the last few years. So who did yeah. I speak to recently? It was the, the guy that mixed all of Outcast stuff. He said that Andre yeah. 3000 never wanted Hey Ya as a single, and never saw it as one, but he pushed for it and was like, no, listen, honestly. And then look what happened. So it's interesting that you say kind of a similar thing happened with you.
0: Uh, I think it's like, when you're involved with the production, you're you're just involved. You know, you're involved from the very, very first audio file that you put in the computer it's right to the to the mix. And uh, for you to have an objective, you you know, when someone hears something that's not been involved in any of the production. Any of it, they're just giving you a blind first impression, and that first impression is so important. If you respect their view, you know it's important you respect their view. Because if you ask for opinions, you'll get them for everyone. So you you, you've got to be from people you respect, you know. But
1: yeah, that's definitely yeah. You can get way too many opinions thrown in there. I don't. I
0: don't don't always play my friends' my music. uh, early stages, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise you just get paralysed by options and opinions.
1: Yeah. And um <laughs> so it was the third single, so Red Mist. This one I had a look yeah. yesterday actually. So this one's got the most uh, Spotify listens and oh, that's the way we sort of quantify things these days all the uh, time, isn't God, it? So no, no, I hate
0: that. Yeah, but it's true. Yeah <laughs> But
1: obviously it's yeah. it's popular still. It's the most popular of that yeah. one. It was on the daytime BBC Radio 1 playlist. Uh, I read that it got over six hours of Radio 1 play in 2009 alone, which is really incredible, especially, Uh, you know, it's not necessarily a genre they would perhaps play as a mainstream kind of daytime A-list kind of slot, is it? So um, what Uh, what was it about that track that you think really caught people's attention? Or was that one that you thought, no, that one is going to be a good one?
0: uh, I did. I mean, that was, um, that had like a big hip-hop intro into it. So that was like, that was um that was what made it unique it started off almost as like a hip-hop track and then and then goes into a drum and bass sort of drop in 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 the track um and like it had big horns in it and stuff it it was like it was i I think i made the hip-hop loop as like to be a kind of hip-hop loop and 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 then thought actually if i play around with this i can make this into a a drum and bass track so and i also had um uh, from what I was saying before, the, the first demos that I gave hospital, they were like, no, no, these aren't it. I actually recorded a vocal with my friend, IK. And we recorded the red miss vocal over, over another track originally. And I just kept it as an acapella. And then that just fitted perfectly over this hip hop loop that I was doing. And, um, you know, again, that's like a, a real exercise and a a lesson in, you know, don't ever throw anything away, you know, because, Mm. you know, you might record a vocal for one thing, but it might work really well for something else. Um, And yeah, it just fit like a glove over this loop. And I don't know, just kind of came all together. And um, yeah, I think, I think, again, it was that hip hop intro that really kind of made that, made that track unique, you know? Mm. I mean, people do do a lot of those switch genres now, but it was a bit more unique back then in 2008.
1: Yeah, and um, you mentioned Annie Mack earlier, who obviously has been instrumental in picking up songs over the years and helping people, helping artists get noticed. So she picked Devil's Drop, didn't she, as her hottest record in the world. So how important has radio support been for you over the years, particularly people like Annie Mack and Radio One, these mainstream stations?
0: Um, yeah, massive. It's sort of, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, um it sort of certifies what what you're doing you know it's like uh you know again with so much music i don't know what the stat is i think it's they say there's something like fifty thousand tracks released every day on spotify I, I don't know whether that's a true stat but it might i can imagine i can imagine it's probably true something insane um, like that it must be something insane like that you know where do you find your music from or well, you need tastemakers you need someone to filter through all that stuff so you know that's why radio is still important and for me it's it's listening to stuff outside my genre as well you know um and uh yeah i mean radio one support is 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 really important and 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 i I think always will be uh and you know there's lots of different ways of doing you know music now and, and and getting it out there it could be you know spotify playlists or YouTube, you know, you know, I I I think that it's a combination for me for my career. It's a combination of all those things making up, you know, one big impact. Really, you know, so it's not one over the other. But, um, yeah, it's uh, radio is still very important to me, for sure.
1: Yeah, I was curious in your thoughts of that because obviously now with streaming and YouTube and anyone can have any music into their brain and their ears literally now. Radio. I think it does still have an important part to play because maybe people have it on. I don't know on their drive to work or kind of in the background. It does pick out cherry pick things, whereas you're kind of swimming in a sea of just releases, releases. Everyone vying for attention on these streaming services, aren't you?
0: Exactly. It's like a filter. It's a you know. It's it's you know. And you can do your own dig in yourself as well. You know, you can do your own things and find obscure things or you know. But sometimes it's good to just be thrown music from lots of different genres you know, that's what's good about radio for me
1: mm. what about the things to do with uh you know playlists on spotify i know a lot of artists do well if they fit within a particular genre you know there might be tons of piano playlists and they'll be used in yeah. i don't know cafes or whatever are you yeah. on tons of drum and bass you know spotify players that you know yeah, well, for? Drum, that-
0: bass, drum and bass doesn't it it, it streams it, it streams well but it doesn't stream well compared to other forms of dance music and i suppose it's because it's an extreme it's an extreme it has an extreme speed like the BPM is like 170 to 180 bpm um, so it doesn't suit always being played in a cafe for example so that kind of lo-fi chilled kind of beats thing is always going to stream well on yeah. spotify yeah? Yeah. because it because it's it's being played in lots of different uh, location. So drum base does, it does, it does what it does well enough on, on Spotify, but yeah, you, you know, some of those playlists are key to that. Um, but again, some people don't ever get in those playlists and still, still do well. You know, some people have their own follow some people just build their following up over social media. Um, uh, but yeah, the, those playlists can be, can be important. But I, I, I know what you're saying. You, you know, I, the, the, I think my music lawyer was saying that he was listening to a playlist called music for dogs on Spotify. <laughs> He had his dog there, and he and he's googled music for dogs, and it, it, it came on Spotify. So he said, "Maybe I should write some music for dogs." And
1: what is on okay.
0: that? I don't know. I don't know how you would write music for a dog, but uh, all the dog-related songs, screams, or, like who loves dogs yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't apples, what's going on? Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, like antagonize all the dogs. I think it's there to chill out the dogs. I think.
1: Okay, okay. Know. Well, I know some people um, leave the radio on, and et cetera, for their dogs when they go out. So perhaps now they put uh, a dog playlist on. That's We're that, living that's in those times, it. aren't we?
0: That's probably it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> true.
1: Probably not drum and bass then. That might get them a bit uh, the opposite yeah, uh, effect of what you want.
0: When we adopted my uh, cat from the Cats and Dogs, and we would walk up there and they'd always be playing classic FM, just pure classical music in there. It's like really calming so a great thing to go and visit the cats and dogs home you know like it's it's a it's, it's really calming place you know yes. so yeah you're yes. right drum and bass wouldn't do very well in there i don't think <laughs>
1: Be too but it fast.
0: does well in clubs, Alice. It does well in clubs. Oh, it absolutely know. does. You no. don't want to be listening to classical music in a club.
1: No, you definitely don't. And um I also yeah. quite like the idea of all these dogs and cats with this very refined musical taste somewhere as well. <laughs> classical music.
0: It's wonderful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> um so let's go on to see so your second album, Rave Diggers, that was twenty ten. And this yeah. featured the huge track, Ill Behaviour, which I think a lot of people will know. Um so what uh, yeah. tell me about putting this track together.
0: Um. Uh, this was like uh, I was obsessed with like trying to do a rave album I mean, the album was called Rave Digger so I was in I was in obsessed with trying to recreate all the again it's like going back to it's like nostalgia of my childhood. you know I was going back to all those early things that I saw on the on the TV or those XL recordings releases and stuff so I was like really sort of determined to make a, a and bass version of that rave music so lots of big pianos and like uh sort of classic dance samples and stuff and ill behavior was i I, it's not quite rave but it's like 90s dance you know Mm. it's like a big it's a big sample and um again just one of those things you're just like fiddling around and it's like oh that sounds good you know yeah like often what i'll do is I'll, i'll do a lot of prep sometimes and like you know i'll i'll yeah, I mean, it's easier now because you've got Ableton and whatnot, but, um, you know, back then I would, I would prep a lot of vocals. So like I would sample some acapellas, but then make sure they were at the right tempo that I wanted at the mat. But I wouldn't do that in the actual session I was working. I'd do that on a sort of, you know, you know, just spend a day of just doing that. And then you've got all these acapellas that you could just throw in there. That will be straight in time, you know, and that was one of those things where that prep, that prep paid off. Mm. And, um, yeah that track I remember having the intro on that track for ages and ages, and then uh uh couldn't write the bassline and then finally come up with a bassline on Christmas day weirdly enough <laughs> because my girlfriend had gone to her her parents for the day and um all my, all my parents were busy as well, so I was on my own. So I just uh, grabbed a bottle of brandy and, and, and sort of worked on that bass So it's like a fond memory, you know, like finishing that track on a Christmas day. Ah, so it
1: could, it's almost in a way a Christmas song then, if you think of it in that Yeah, respect. it's a
0: Christmas song, isn't it? Yeah, it's a Christmas song.
1: <laughs> Being the chance every year, like competing with Mariah Carey before you know it.
0: Oh, that's good. That's, that's money, isn't it? That's, that's, money. Funny.
1: that's money. Oh, she only needed to do that. Nothing else.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do you know How I haven't heard it yet? I
1: think I've got off lightly. I haven't heard it.
0: Oh, I don't know. I I haven't heard it either.
1: Oh, it's almost time though, isn't it? I'm glad I don't work in retail anymore because that was a difficult I, um, few months leading up to Christmas. Funny
0: enough. Funny enough, where I where I've moved to, my neighbour next door, he's got a he's got a recorded studio next door as well, um, randomly. There's there's nice. quite a few music studios in this area actually. And he does Music for adverts, and he's been working on. He's really busy at the moment doing like Christmas songs and Christmas like uh, some big adverts. I'm not going to mention it, but uh, mm. you like a children's choir, and you you often just like go in the garden and hear children's choir going. Go you know, like twenty four seven. You know, um, so yeah, yeah, it's a it's a whole industry for sure.
1: Yeah, well, your neighbours, well, they very similar jobs to you i guess that's quite nice a little yeah, community really up there cool. in Bath.
0: yeah i like it i like it i like it it's really cool yeah
1: sounds good and um i know you did your first ever um danny bird live show at hospitality brixton so that was in 2011 so can you remember this night like it was yesterday i'm guessing you can <laughs>
0: yeah yeah i don't think i'm cut out for the live shows to be honest with you oh, really? like, a lot of our, well a lot of our live shows our live shows are DJing, really, you know, oh, like DJing as our way of performing live. Um and around that time, sort of 2010, you know, the early tens, uh everyone everyone was going live in my genre. Everyone was had a live show and it was like it was that natural thing you did. It was like, oh, you're gonna go live, you know. And so the label, were like, you know, you need you need to go live. So I I got IK the the vocus, he was the focus on the ill behaviour um and red mist so I, I had him on board as a vocalist and i had a, a mc friend of mine risky who was a great mc as well so we had two vocalists and then i kind of had a live setup around a sort of mpc and some keyboards and stuff so i was playing i think i had a back and track that was probably it was about 60 it was about 60 percent of it was a back and track you know all the beats were on the back and track but a lot of the bass lines and stuff were played live on the keyboard and stuff and it it was just like it, it was a great idea and a great concept, but it was just like the ultimate stress. Like I didn't have much support from the label to do the live show. And, uh, it's, I don't know if it was, it, it was, it was so much work, like like basically this sort of four or five months it took to put the live show together. You could have wrote another album, you know? So it was kind of like, we did, we did a few live shows and they, they went really well, but it was kind of like the time invested, I, uh, you know? And, and then I, then I learned, later that like a lot of acts they'll have like a musical md that will come in and help them with a live show you know because it's like it's a lot of pressure um to try and do that all yourself you know so yeah the live shows like they, they, were, they were great and I, I suppose i know i can always bring them out again and, and i know how to do it but it was like it's, it was the equipment stress as well like you turn up and think oh, i hope the computer turns on now you know and it's like i remember the first live show that we did we did like a, it was meant to be a test event in the, in a club called moles in bath it was meant to be like you know 50 people or something just to test the live show and my friend was promoting it he just sold it out so it's like 300 people in this small club and um we that had pressure. the keyboards on stage and some Someone knocked the keyboard and the sliders on there, and suddenly it put this like long release time on all the bass, and I couldn't work out what was going. You know, it's that thing. That I didn't have that calm pilot mind that you needed. You know, I was like, "Why am I? What's happening here?" You know, so that kind of stress I don't need in my life anymore. You know. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: That sounds like literally a nightmare, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> that wasn't the answer you were expecting, was it? <laughs> no, but, I like uh, getting I just, unusual answers. <laughs> yeah yeah gotta be honest on the podcast I, I just prefer djing now that's a much right and it's funny enough a lot of the live show stuff that kind of went out the window as well like i think that they were very expensive to do like people had elaborate light uh, light shows and stuff and i think people realized after a while actually it's probably you know it was again people would just expect you to dj as well they didn't really know what a live show was they, they didn't they weren't really that it, there was no difference between what the public whether it's a you DJ or you doing a live show and obviously a live show has got uh, uh, hell, loads of l- loads of more resources to be thrown at it so yeah um, yeah there's not many people doing it live as uh, as there was
1: no um, and I've seen as well you've got a few live dates on your website so when did these start yeah. up again
0: live dates will there be uh, what from the pandemic you yeah mean?
1: since then I'm just curious uh, how long you've been have you been yeah. doing many DJ sets or are you just sort of testing letters?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, um, well, obviously it's been a crazy 18 months where we didn't, you know, obviously used to DJ every weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday, and then it grinds to complete stop was, was kind of like just crazy. (laughs) Um, and, uh, I, I had the ability to go to New Zealand for six weeks and do a little tour out there during the pandemic, which was kind of weird because obviously they were completely unlocked down at that time. Um, and, uh, so that was my first experience of being back. And then when the clubs opened back in September, yeah, it's slowly sort of like picked up and yeah, we've been back on the road sort of every weekend. And it's, it's, it's been amazing being back. Um, it's interesting out there because, uh, you know, there's a lot of rescheduled events and stuff. And so like t- events that had sold out, only only sort of 60 70 percent of people are turning up I guess because they a lot of them are rescheduled then rescheduled again and the new date people can't make make the event and stuff and so it's it's great to be back it's not it's about 70 percent of what it was you know Mm -hmm. before the pandemic so it's but I'm just thankful that it's we've got we're allowed to do it still you know
1: yeah in any capacity
0: yeah well I was just looking and thinking is this are we ever going to be allowed to perform live again you know like I I honestly honestly thought that in the darkest days of the pandemic you know which now seems a bit ridiculous you know you think yeah of course we were but you know uh, I don't know it didn't seem didn't seem like it was likely at the time.
1: No it didn't and especially there was no date when we thought it could happen and it almost seemed like a dream to think oh I was only at a concert you know in Hyde Park or whatever it was just Last summer, yeah. um, how things change. But also, I think I've been to a few gigs since. And I mm. would say how, well, I, maybe this is just me, how quickly mm. you forget and you just slip right back into it. Oh, I, wasn't, I didn't massive. even think about um, yeah. coronavirus. Obviously, I'm double jabbed. And, you know, yeah. but, but people weren't having to wear masks. So I haven't given it a second thought. Isn't it funny how you just jump right back in?
0: It's. I remember the first gig back in the UK and just walking away and thinking that was amazing, like the buzz you know uh, but that you know and but then you sort of get into the mo- and then you start you know because uh, you know in the middle of the pandemic when you're not working think I'm never going to moan about driving on the motorway again I'm <laughs> yeah. never going to moan about like uh, this you morning know, <laughs> having- <laughs> yeah and exactly and then it, and then it all it all kicks off and like last week i had to catch a flight to estonia i had to get up at 6 a.m and it's like oh i can't do this anymore i can't <laughs> do this <these very> <laughs> you know <laughs> so uh, uh, you know be careful what you wish for oh we um, just
1: love to moan we're british we love yeah, it that's the weather that or traffic or something that, isn't it give us something
0: that's, that's it that's
1: <laughs> it yeah yeah that's it okay so on to um the studio side of things so you're in the process of building a new studio at the moment so is that at your yeah. home
0: yeah, that's a home studio. Um, I'm decided at the moment, I've got um, a great, he's a great studio designer called uh, Barney at Studio Builds. Um, and he's done some great studios. And uh, he did me a design for one of my bedrooms in my house. Um, that's a kind of perfect studio size, you know, like I, cause it, you know, when we were house hunting, um, you know, I learned so much about acoustics Because we almost bought a house that had it had a soundproof room and it was being used as a studio and we thought, oh my god, that's amazing. And it's all all been done already, you know. Um and the house was great and amazing, but actually it was a square room. It was like five meters by five meters, which is terrible for acoustics. Mm-hmm. And uh my previous house I lived in, I was always in like a little shoebox room at hence so I was having to mix a lot of stuff. Uh out of the you know in other studios. So I, I finally what you know the reason for moving the house was to get, finally get a studio that you could just finish everything in. Um and uh yeah so this this place we 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 got a design um for one of the bedrooms. It's it's more like a shoebox shape. It's sort of a uh, five meters by three meters, three and a half meters I think. And so we've we've got we've got a great design that. But now I'm deciding now I've got an eight month year old son. I'm like, do I build this in the garden and build a shed? So that, that's the toss up at the moment, basically. Like we, we're, we're trying to work out what we're going to do, whether okay. we're going to do a build a shed in the garden and kind of do it there or, or have it within the house, you know?
1: Oh, interesting. OK. Yeah. Well, the fun of a new house, I guess. Well, that is quite fun. Actually. I think you're building a studio, though
0: yeah yeah i I would love to you know i i I can't wait to you know i mean i've got my stuff in my in my um in a spare room at the moment and i've got my trusty general set up and they've done a great job um with the room correction you know and um you know I, i finished a new single the ministry single in here um and that's sounding good um and uh Yeah, but, you know, it'd be nice to have a dedicated space, proper space, you know.
1: Yeah, of course. And just to, you know, as you've said, you might not always find it easiest to get in the zone. So nice to have a space that you can, I guess, separate from the rest of the house and the madness of life. and Get in there, get your general on and get cracking.
0: Yeah yeah exactly exactly mm.
1: and um so i know you were one of the first people in the uk no the first person sorry to install genelix original 8351 so the first oh, of the, series. the first one
0: series well genelix tells me you are oh my god okay yes. right okay. did you not get a yeah, I mean, sash
1: or some kind of uh, you know award or something for
0: that <laughs> hey, uh, no, <laughs> no I, I got an uh, invite to their their one's uh, uh, launch at Metropolis a few years ago. There's about to do. Um, yeah, I am. Um, it was really weird with the, with the 8351, the Genlex, because um, I was using a pair of other monitors before. Uh, I'm not going to mention the brand because I don't want to, they, they were, they were great for the time, um, but I kept on, <laughs> I kept on blowing them. They would really blow really easily. Like, like I would I'd have the music too that and they would blow. And the, the, and that that wasn't the problem with them. They they were good for the time, but like I just felt like I needed to move on. I, I think every five to ten years, you probably do need to change your monitors or upgrade to a new version because music's subtly changing all the time. It's getting louder, uh, tighter, you know, um, sounding. So I, I thought, right, I need to g- get some monitors that um, are gonna are, are gonna really work for me. And I, and I've read about the X with the room correction, the the GOM software. And they had great reviews, the 8351s. through five ones, and I thought let me um you know i just I just bought a pair without listening to them because again, listening to them in a, in a in a showroom is is almost pointless. You have to listen to them in your own room, so I just bought them and, and they they sounded great in in the room and um I, I didn't know how to set up the g l m software at the time and uh I got uh, uh Andy. F- uh, Bensley from Genelec to come down and set them up for me. And once he set them up, it was like, you know, sort of amazing, like life changing. Cause like I say, um, I was, I was working in a little box room in my house, which was great for writing, but you would have to mix elsewhere. And when you would take the mix to another studio, you probably spend about four hours just trying to get it to sound like it did at home, you know, cause it just wasn't translating. And the Genlex, you know, you know I, I mean, in the pandemic, I was just mixing stuff fully at home. You know, it, was, it, it just changed, changed everything for me. You know, the, the accuracy, the way they translate, is just incredible. Those mm. monitors.
1: And what about uh, um, translating for when you're, I guess, doing a studio mix to a club or a DJ set? How do they give you that confidence to know it's going to sound good anywhere basically?
0: Um, well, that that is the, yeah. I mean, that, that's the translation that I'm talking about. Like, nothing is more honest than a club setup. You know, it's like yeah. if your mix isn't right, a club will or sp- will show it up. Even if like the bass is one dB too quiet, you, it, it will sound really quiet on a club system. You know, it's like the mix has to be perfect almost. You know, and so you know, I, I find that no mix is perfect from the the V one, the version one. You know, it's it's never perfect, but the geninets get me so much, qu- so much quicker getting me to that point you know where, where it's finished mm. and uh, mm. you know like things like you take it out to the car and before you'd have a lot of surprises now there's, there's hardly any surprises you know it's like you it maybe just reveals things in the mix that you you maybe you could change but you don't have to you know so um yeah the translation is very important
1: yeah and uh, do you still do the car test
0: Oh, I do. Oh, I love the car test. I love the car test. It's more for me. The car test is now is not so much about sort of the mix and how it sounds. It's about sort of giving it a market research test. So I'll drive down to Bath Town Centre and wind down the windows and like blast it really loud through the bus station, you know, and just see, see how many looks I get. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You think I'm joking, but I'm not. Just picture Uh, you driving through a
1: bus station, blaring out drum and bass, uh, driving very slowly.
0: That's, That's it. Well, when I was like, you know, when I was like, 13 14 hanging around the town center on a friday night as you do i was always in awe of the boy racers that would just go round around the bus station like playing their music really loud so i I subconsciously probably want to be one of them now you know you live in the dream now (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, but um yeah, no, it's like I suppose the thing is when I say about market research, it's like if you feel like you're confident to play that really loud with the windows down driving along, then you've got something, you know? Yeah. And if you feel like a little bit like, Oh, I don't know about this, then then maybe the track's not quite right or needs more work. Okay.
1: Well, that's a good uh there's a viral video. I'm trying to think what that's reminding me of. There's some stupid viral video that went around over the last few years of saying this is British culture and it's people playing the Venga Boys outside of a kebab shop and everyone, oh, yeah. it just takes yeah. over everyone and they can't help it. They all just start dancing.
0: Exactly. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love exactly. that.
1: See, people recognise a tune whether they want to admit they like that Venga Boys track. They know they do, deep down.
0: I think it alcohol, Alice. I think it alcohol. I think it might
1: that. be uh, a yeah. combination of awakening something primal inside of them. Um, I'm not sure quite what that is.
0: You don't really, you don't really eat a dollar kebab in the daytime. Even <laughs> you don't listen to the Vengaboys in the daytime. So you know.
1: <laughs> right, so that's a very good point, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. So um, what's the rest of this year looking like for you? Do you sort of gear up to Christmas? Are you winding down? Have you got lots of projects? Like, what's going on for
0: you? I'm just, just, Working on lots of stuff, really. Um, just just um, got a lot of unfinished ideas I need to finish up. And um, like I say, the studio builds it, is happening imminently. Um, so just focusing on that, really. And um, yeah, lots of releases next year. Um, I've got a track uh, coming out in February on a Dynamite MC's uh, EP, which I've just finished for him. Uh, it's a track called Hit That. I think that's the title um and just yeah lots of lots of like yeah i've 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 been stockpiling as and a lot of people have during the pandemic I've been stockpiling a lot of music, so now it's gonna you know it's all getting ready to come out basically
1: okay good, exciting times then,
0: yeah, yeah and obviously, people yeah.
1: should check out your website, I'm guessing for any live dates and all that side of thing, yeah,
0: yeah, socials yeah it's it's easy to find yeah um um yeah instagram Facebook twitter. Uh, the best places to find out we, we generally put up our events and stuff and things that we're doing
1: brilliant and are you on uh, the TikTok, danny or is that for the young people I i'm am. not on it may i say i'm too old I, to I, it. Am. I'm, I am i ah. am i
0: am i am yeah i am we, we we've been dabbling with it we've been dabbling with it we're we doing um, any
1: dances what's cool. been going on on there then
0: no i don't know <laughs> no, no no maybe i need to I, I, I can moonwalk, so maybe I need to feel myself moonwalking.
1: Oh, I think anyone should if they can moonwalk. Any excuse? Yeah,
0: yeah. I need the right surface, you know. I need the right surface. I can't have concrete. But I've got a nice parquet floor here. I think I could do it with shoes off and might be able to do it. Okay. Maybe I need to do that. Yeah. All
1: right, everyone. Yeah, you yeah, know where dance dance. to go. I'll go to TikTok and see this moonwalking. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I was trying to do when I was younger, see, be a moonwalker.
1: I mean, a moonwalker and a boy racer. Blaring up music. Um, I, know, what I
0: don't know about a boy racer. I yeah, I was <laughs> grudging respect for a boy racer. Yeah. I don't know. No. <laughs> okay, cool.
1: Um, well, Danny, I think I've uh, taken up quite enough of your precious time today. You've got oh, a studio is. to consider and build and a child to raise and all sorts yeah. of things <laughs> to go on with. So, thank you so much for talking to us. It's been such a pleasure yeah. to get yeah. to know you and just find out about your music career.
0: Thank you so much, Alice. I love the podcast as well. Been Aww, listening, uh, that's good. Been listening to hear. Yeah, it's really great. It's really great. So yeah, I love hearing everyone's different journeys, you know?
1: Yeah, and all the stories behind the music. It's oh, it's really fascinating. I'm really glad to hear uh, there's that.
0: A um, lot, there's a lot a lot to learn, isn't there? There's a lot to learn from different people's different processes. You know, there's so many different... we're all we're all using very similar kit now, you know, like it's all we're all using like logical Tools, but the way that people could use different these same tools, but in different ways is amazing. Mm. So, yeah.
1: Oh, I'm really glad to hear that you like it then. Um, well, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast then. With that in yeah, mind, right. pleasure to have Thank you. Thank
0: you very much. Cheers.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Bye, Danny.
0: Bye-bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.